that leaves us to the defense. Mason Lorai, um, who we talked a lot about last episode, and Brian, you're really high on, uh, showed his offense again. I uh, scored in Tuesday's game, and Montgomery after the game uh, said he really liked the way that he was jumping into the offense. And uh, I just didn't, didn't know if you think he changed the, his positioning in where he stands in the depth chart. Personally, I I think that his his skating ability, his mobility, his puck movement, his offensive awareness, ability to jump into the play, create offense in the back end, especially where we still need to see it, to believe it, that outside of David Pasternak and a couple others, that this offense can produce enough on their own. Um, I think it's – I think he would help this team right now. I also believe that he has some improvements to make especially in his own zone. And I understand that he's not a finished product and I don't think they need to necessarily rush him into the lineup just yet because defense is not a, it's a position of strength for them regardless. Um, I think that I just, but at the same time, it's like you watch Derek Forbert and it's like, well, is he mistake free? No. Um, does he move the puck? Well, not really. I mean, how many times I feel like, I feel like 70% of the passes he makes are behind the, per- the person he's trying to pass it to. And like, so like, yes, there's deficiencies for Lorai's game. He still has to develop, but oh, okay. Like literally every defenseman makes mistakes every game. So you live with those too, right? I mean, Charlie McAvoy makes mistakes every game. Lindholm makes mistakes every game. So if we're going to watch a player and be like, oh, well, you know, he, he lost an edge there or, you know, you know, where that you were on the ice for a goal. Again. Okay. So everybody's on the ice for goals against Um, the, the question is, does his upside outweigh the negatives at this point in his career. Um, so look, I think that, like I said, last podcast, I feel like an eventual top four of Lindholm, McAvoy, Carlo, and, and, and Lorai, I think, I think should be inevitable down the line, which means that one of Forbert or Grizzlick would probably be um, moved out at some point. If the Bruins could like, if you, if you're third, hear me out for a second. If you're, if your D pairs are like, you know, McAvoy, Lorai, Lindholm, Carlo, and Grizzlick, Shattenkirk. What's wrong with that? Like, that's pretty damn good to me. So I don't need to see it on October 11th necessarily. I If the Bruins start the season with Lorai and Providence, no problem. I just think that I think he'll be on the team at some point this year. So I like his game. There's no rush. Like Patra, there's kind of a, in my opinion, like there's more of a need there. Like you, you want that center depth and you want that center upside. The Bruins, that's a position of need, right? Lorai on the left D, not necessarily right now. So it's a bit of a different situation. He's had a great camp and I think his future is bright. Maybe not opening night. He'll be on the lineup, but I think he'll be on the lineup uh, at some point this year. Yeah. I, I think at first of all, I agree with like everything you just said. I think the natural, Reaction from anyone looking at a lineup with Forbert bumped out is, well, penalty kill, penalty kill, penalty kill. And it's like, yeah, I get it. Like what he brings there is valuable. And, you know, you don't, you'd rather have Forbert standing in front of shots than Lorai or uh, Lindholm or, you know, whatever. Grizz, like we know, doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have as much reach if he's out there. But as we've talked about in the past, like, if if Forbert's not in your lineup, you can find other ways to kill penalties. Like your penalty kill doesn't have to be, well, just stand in front of the one timer. Like you can play in a way that takes away that one, takes away the scene pass, takes away that one timer. Like 
you can do other things, right? Like not everyone on the penalty kill has to be willing to stand in front of every slap shot in order for a penalty kill to be effective. Yeah, there's going to be times where you have to do that, but you can like I think the six guys they would roll out, I think you would have enough guys there with some defensive smarts and with reach because obviously Laura is a big guy too. Um that you could still put together an effective penalty kill. Uh, I'm with you, though, that Lorai probably starts in Providence, in part because I think you want to keep as much... We know injuries on the blue line happen every year, so you want to keep as much depth as possible. So I'm in no rush to trade away Grizzik or Forbert. I don't think you can get much for them at this point anyways, because, again, anyone bringing those guys in is probably a pretty good team that's like just looking to fill out, you know, one more hole on D. Um, but those teams don't have cap space right now. So you're not eating salary to move them. Like you might as well. It's a strength. Like your defense is a strength. And I know there's people out there who are down on Grizzly and forward or whatever, but you know, I was looking at like the athletic has recently rolled out their rankings of like everyone's position group position group. And I think the Bruins were third or fourth on defense. It was like only Carolina, uh, I think Vegas and maybe Colorado ahead of them for better decors one through six. And it's like, yeah, that seems right to me. So uh, roll with what you have to start. And then if there's an injury or if someone's struggling, Laura's the next man up. So let him go play 25 minutes a game in Providence play in every situation, work on his defensive game, work on getting more physical. And then if, and when something happens, you call him up and he might run, run with it and never look back. But um, for now, I don't see any harm in, in starting him in Providence. No, I did want to ask one more time about a guy that we haven't talked about that much. And that's uh, Chattenkirk. Um, obviously he's a veteran and veterans in preseason don't necessarily go as hard as some of the kids trying to crack the lineup, um, trying to steal spots. Uh, do you think he's safe where, where he is in the depth chart? Or do you think he, he's at risk of potentially being bumped out at some point? I think he's safe for now, but I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world to have someone pushing him, which is part of the reason why the, the one change in defense in my latest projection is I now have Ian Mitchell as the seventh defenseman over Jacob Zaborl. Um, I think Mitchell's had a good camp. He's a right shot. He, I think, could be like basically a one-for-one replacement for Shattenkirk. Doesn't have nearly as much experience on the power play. Um, but in terms of being able to activate, get involved offensively, um, you know, probably not as good of a passer, but uh, – bring some of those same characteristics. And I think if you have someone like Mitchell, who's pushing Shattenkirk, uh, you know, I think you're right that like, he's a veteran who I don't think we've seen his best game this preseason. I think he's still a good player. You know, I think he was pretty good last year on a bad Anaheim team where he was forced to play top four minutes. Like now you're putting him on a better team in a third pairing role. I think he'll be fine, but yeah, he like he hasn't had the best preseason performances. I'm not super worried about it, but if it's whether it's Mitchell or you know, it was notable that Matt Grizzlick played on the right side last night. Like, 
I don't know, something they were taking a look at. So that could become an option too. Um, yeah, you have options, but I think Shankirk's pretty, pretty safely in the opening night lineup at least. Yeah, I would agree. I don't, I don't think it's one of those situations where it's like they brought in Mike Motto, like back in like 2012, like an old veteran guy that like doesn't really have any. Like I think Shankirk still can play, especially in the in the limited role that Scott mentioned. And you can't discount his uh, being a champion in this league and being a part of a high-powered offensive team in Tampa Bay, a well-structured defense in Tampa Bay. Um, I Yeah, I think it's just, you know, he's going through the motions a little bit in preseason. I think he's a good presence to have on the back end on and off the ice. And um, I don't think he should be worried uh, just yet. And um, I, I honestly I honestly think that there's, there's room for him to be a good fit. And it's kind of like a good fit for him at this point in his career. Just play third line. Uh, I'm sorry, third, third deep pair. And, and yeah, you know, go out there and if you have, you know, PP two or whatever they ask you to do. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I think he's going to be a net positive for them. I think over, over Clifton, maybe I know it's, it's a, I bring up, bring up Clifton cause it's kind of the natural comparison uh, in, in and out, but different players, but yeah, the decor is no worse off because Shannon Kirk's on the team this year over Clifton. All right. I think uh, also also Shankirk's a great interview, and I'm all for keeping any and all great interviews. It's yes. it's, it's one it's one reason I would be uh, bummed to see AJ Greer go. But uh, Br- Bridget also um, worth mentioning. I'm not even t- I'm not even being funny right now. They're growing on me. I told you they would. I told I still you. Wished, I still wish it was their their normal yellow, but the actual design. They're growing on me and um, add in the third jersey that I really like that they're going to probably wear 15 times because of the uh, original six games that they're using them every single time. Um, you know, I, I think if the Bruins just take these uniforms next year and just substitute the glitter gold for you know, like the, the yellow they've always used, let's rock and roll for the next hundred years. <laughs> I, I think I think I've come around on the white ones quite a bit for sure. The, the black ones still feel a little off to me, but we'll see. We'll see. They, they, they might grow on me at some point as well. They've grown it's also- since they were, you know, introduced. They've grown just incrementally as we see them more. Yeah. Also, I think it's like there's a different perspective of the black ones so far. I've only seen from level nine at the garden because I've been at the games and the white ones I've seen on TV. Like, I think this is like hard to explain to people, but like, I do think there's like a difference in how I look at them, especially the black ones. Cause you're looking down and you just like notice all kind of the open space just on the top half of the uniform until you get to the 47 stripes in the sleeves. Right. And then, uh, yeah, but to your point, like on TV, like, so if I was in your position where I'm just watching it from a bird's eye view, I'd probably feel the same way, but similar to how you watch them on the road. Like when you're watching them at home on Nesson, like, um, like, you know, during play, it still takes some getting used to. I like the design in general as a hockey uniform. For me, it was always like, you don't look like the Bruins. You look like a, a Vegas alternate jersey. But, you know, between whistles and stuff, like when, you know, when you see a player skate to the bench or it's like a close-up on somebody and you see the emblem there, like, you know, you get those close-ups and those camera angles on TV you don't see when you're covering the game live. But um, like I said, I still don't like the gold aspect. And just, and just so we're – the Bruins, I think, know this too because – and I know this is a this is like the most Brian thing ever, but when they when they post pictures of like their on Twitter and whatnot or Instagram of like like uh, you know like um, 
one, one after two, whatever. It's like a picture of a player in action. They, and we know, I think we know who runs their social media, but like they, they, they use like a filter that like makes it like makes the uniforms look more yellow than like they are in real life. Like in the, they're gold in real life. And then like, if they post a picture, you'll notice like it's like saturated. So it looks more like a traditional Bruins color than it does in person. So there's, they're seeing, they're seeing the little criticisms that were out there. And I think they're trying to rectify them in post. They saw your DMS. No, I mean, I just, <laughs> I think, I think that was, I think like, that's pretty much what everybody said when they debuted the uniforms, everybody pretty much said like, like the design's fine. The, you know, too many stripes can be forgiven, but people were just like, it's just the wrong color. Like aside from that, it was fine. So anywho, I guess we'll find out, but you guys are both, uh, I think you guys are all set for, for this episode. Any any final comments? No, I think think all good. Good. One one more preseason game Thursday night, I'm sure. You know, we'll be reacting to that and maybe, you know, if they do a re- big round of cuts at some point. Um, but yeah, J- Jim Montgomery said they expect to be down to basically their opening night roster by the weekend. He said he doesn't imagine having many more um decisions to make come the weekend so uh you know it's all gonna be happening over the next couple days here all right bridget i'll assume that you're all set so yeah. um i think we'll probably uh, also go over some season prediction predictions and whatnot and standings and stuff like that uh certainly before opening night so thank you all for listening we will talk to you very soon